Hello, listeners, and welcome to Closing Time, the podcast that provides an inside look at the world of healthcare startups and venture capital. I'm Hallie Tecco. And I'm Michael Esquivel. Each episode, we get the privilege of meeting entrepreneurs at the forefront of healthcare innovation. You get to eavesdrop on pitches that are reshaping healthcare from founders daring to think differently. So pull up a chair and join us as we journey into the future of healthcare, one pitch at a time. Last week on Closing Time, we talked about M&A and digital health and how we saw a dip of activity in 2023 and what we think is in store for 2024. If you haven't listened, you can go back and listen to that episode now. Today, we're going to talk about another type of ending for digital health companies, and that is the wind down. Michael, womp womp. This is an important topic. It really, really is because there's some key considerations when thinking about it. And uh, I think sometimes yeah. we reach that point in the life cycle where exhaustion is set in and and everybody just uh, is throwing up their hands, but there are some do's and don'ts yeah. and we want to be mindful of that. Yeah. Okay, we'll be we'll be Debbie Downers, but just for this one episode and only because we think it's really important that founders are making the right decision, even if it's the hard decision. Okay, so let's just start with like, how do you know when it's time to wind down? Obviously, you look at your bank account, it might be a, a big indicator. Um, you might be totally exhausted. That's another indicator. Um, but yeah, what are what are your thoughts on like, okay, like I need to make the decision now versus wait another six weeks? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And, and the single most important consideration and something that I want to double underline and triple underline and bold and italicize is remember that under Delaware law, under California employment law, under most states' employment laws, directors are personally liable for employee wages, benefits, and and other um, salary-like elements. And so, you know- For how long? You're on the hook. So you cannot- as long as they're exactly, working. you cannot yeah. send it. We pay in arrears for the most part in this country, and you cannot send yeah. your workforce in to start a new payroll cycle if you have an inability to pay them their salary, wages, and benefits. And so, the most important thing to track as you find yourself approaching an insolvent-like scenario is making sure that you're reserving enough capital in the company's bank account to meet all of those payroll obligations. And if you're not, that's a bright line, red blinking light, we've, we've got a problem. And, and not, only, not only the legal element there, Hallie, the, the human element. These people are coming in, working hard for you and the vision as a founder that you've laid out. And there's a moral obligation on our part to make sure we're taking care of people. And so in, in venture investors understand that. They're sitting on your board. That's the single most important uh, element to keep track of as you approach that scenario. You know, dealing with landlords and law firms and 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 other vendors, you know, all of that can be dealt with. And there's always inherently risk on those obligations. But the one that you cannot compromise with without any any room for uh, doubt here is employee wages, salaries, and benefits. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I think those things are obviously, you know, important, as you said, 
because that's the law. And also just, <laughs> it's the right thing to do. But we also, I think, have to think about other obligations, um, like vendor obligations for, for reputation for sure. reasons. This is where your finance team is so critical. It's so important that you're tracking all of your liabilities, that you know, you know, what would it take to do what we lawyers call an orderly wind down, where you pay off all obligations or you negotiate a reasonable payout and you have enough cash to satisfy all those obligations. And I think it's important. And, and oftentimes, unfortunately, in these scenarios, your finance team has either been laid off uh, as part of the runway extension approach, or it requires a level of, of, of experience to navigate how to think about uh, all of these go-forward obligations. And so, uh, oftentimes, I recommend we bring in either one of the wind-down firms, and there are some well-known ones here in Silicon Valley, uh, or we find a fractional uh, CFO type who's been through the trenches on wind-downs, because there's a, a bit of an art to it. Uh, but what's really important is that it be tracked and that it be shared, uh, ideally at least weekly as you approach these these. Um, uh, really challenging uh, weeks and months uh, uh, as you consider a wind down. And so it all starts with making sure you have a proper accounting of everything, all your obligations, uh, all of the liabilities of the company, and that you're doing your best to your point, because there is reputational risk, that you're doing your best to keep those vendors in the loop, to keep them informed. And, and, and they'll more often than not want to work with you because they too have a reputation yeah. that they want to be seen yeah, exactly. as, hey, we want to work with, Star this is the game we play. And there's risk inherent in that for all parties, all stakeholders. Yeah. So as someone is trying to do this orderly wind down, how do they decide between putting their efforts towards that and winding it down versus like trying to find some sort of fire sale, some sort of quote unquote, soft landing, aqua hire, like how, when does that happen? When do you make that decision? Because that's kind of like completely winding down and having everything that you built go nowhere is like heartbreaking for you as a founder. So true, Hallie. And, and like everything we ask incredible founders to do every day, they're juggling chainsaws with, you know, a million different priorities and being pulled in different directions. The long and short of it is, Honestly, the answer is yes, all of it. You should be exploring acquisitions. You should be exploring venture investments. You should be exploring any any venue or avenue that <laughs> will give you an opportunity to, you know, give that vision a chance to see another day. But, but uh, you know, and this is where sometimes, and oftentimes it isn't the case, but sometimes a banker can be helpful again, where they can help scour the market. But oftentimes, as you experienced in your situation with Natalist and Everly, that, you know, the founder takes it upon herself to, you know, try to explore all those options. So unfortunately, in your exercise of, of fiduciary duties, you want to, you know, make sure you've turned over as many and ideally all stones reasonably foreseeable and possible sure. to see if you can find an, another exit. But if you get to that point where, you know, I've, I've, I've talked to two dozen venture investors and, and family offices and corporate strategic investors, and I've, I've, I've talked to a dozen potential acquirers and nothing has taken hold, no term sheet has come out of that process, then you, you need to see, well, how, can I extend runway in any other way reasonably? And if you can't, then you need to turn mentally, make that 
shift and say, all right, let's let's talk about what would it take to wind this thing down in an orderly fashion. And by orderly, you know, Hallie, I really mean where everybody is made as whole as possible, where you're not running oh, yeah. that reputational risk you alluded to earlier. And and that you're you're doing right by everybody because for yeah. most founders they're gonna they're gonna totally. take another at bat they're gonna want to take another swing and so leaving a good taste in people's mouths about how you conducted yourself out out on the way out is going to be critical when you want to get back in. So so important. Don't worry about disappointing your investors. They know how inherently risky startups are. You will not be the first person who has lost their money. Uh, what you need to worry about, as Michael said, is about being super professional during the process so you don't burn bridges so that they say, this founder was great. They learned so much. I'm going to back them the second time because they're not going to make the same mistakes again. But if you avoid them, if you don't talk to them, if you're not transparent about it, if you shut down because of embarrassment or shame, then you're only putting yourself in a situation where your next venture, your next step is going to be even harder because you've lost those folks who... They, they will still believe in you, even if the company didn't work out. Yeah, I agree, Hallie. I mean, they will be supportive of founders who have done it professionally and thoughtfully. Remember, even if you don't go back to those same investors for your next go around, the investors that do potentially invest in your new startup are going to call those folks. They're going to ask them, hey, what was it like when, <laughs> when Hallie or Michael wound down their company? Did, 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 yeah. did they leave you in the lurch? Did they stay engaged? Did they try to do right by you? Did they explore all alternatives? And, and if you can check the box and answer those questions with a yes, I mean, you're going to be set up for, for great opportunities and success on the next go around. Yeah. So question for you. Um, so if a, a founder has built a company that doesn't work out and they wind it down, but there are assets that the founder wants to keep that's important to them, say customer lists or a social media account that had a lot of followers, what are kind of th their laptop that they were using? I mean, where can you draw the line on like assets that it's okay to keep with you for your next venture versus like things that just need to go poof and disappear? It's a, it's a great question. And it's going to turn largely, Hallie, on whether uh, that startup had taken venture debt, for example. In other words, is there a party out there that had a security interest in the company's assets that is entitled to those assets? And, and typically venture debt lenders, when they make their uh, investments via their, their, their credit facilities, they have a security interest in the company's assets, uh, oftentimes on their IP, but not always. And so you need to first ask, ask that question and work with your venture debt lender. Oftentimes you'll, instead of doing a formal bankruptcy in, in tech, and, and this refers to health tech, life sciences, consumer enterprise, oftentimes you'll have instead what's called an assignment for the benefit of creditors process, where effectively you don't go in through a formal U.S. bankruptcy proceeding, but instead you work hand in hand with your venture debt lender, who then takes on the role of being a, effectively a trustee and and does its best to monetize those assets. So so I think the, the, the critical First question is, do you have a venture debt lender or someone who has a secured interest in the company's yeah. assets? Okay. If the answer is no, we don't, then I think, you know, I would, again, from a reputational and what's best practice perspective, is sit down with your investors and say, listen, we have some laptops, some chairs, some things. And oftentimes those investors will be like, 
you, you know, for a dollar, I'll, you can you can own it all, right? We'll, we'll put together a little asset <laughs> yeah. purchase. There has to be consideration. Exactly, there right? has to be some there consideration be some, That's, yeah. that represents fair value. But a you know a, a, a three year old laptop, I don't know how much value is in that, and 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 a, and a bunch of used chairs and conference tables, I don't know how much value there is there. So in any event, I think it's always the the, the real world, words of wisdom, the pearl of guidance here is. Um, you know, be transparent. You said it so well, Hallie. Be transparent. Sit down with your investors and all of the stakeholders and just have a conversation about, look, we're winding down. I've met these obligations. Here are a few items that I'd like to personally keep. And, you know, the investors will work with you. Uh, they're going to because you've done it honorably, admirably, and with integrity. And if you do it that way, uh, lots of good goodness will come from what is otherwise a just a terrible process. Yeah. I've heard of some founders actually like buying the domain from the company. They're like, "Hey, I'm I have another idea I can do with this." Like, how do, how does that work? Yeah, great question. And, and again, I think it's it's you know you got to be careful as a founder because you're on both sides. So you'd want to have someone quote be on the company side because you as a founder are saying, "Look, I want to buy the domain name. I want to buy." Uh, the customer list, whatever it is. And so, you know, sometimes what you'll do is you'll enlist the lead investor on your board, or you'll enlist, uh, if you brought in a wind down firm, they will serve on the company side of advocating for the company's best interest, and you'll just negotiate mm. a deal. But, but you know, it, it, it all is about being open, having the conversation, sitting down like a professional that you are, like the adult you are, and having the conversation with folks and, and then, yeah. and then, and not, not over-engineering it. That's the other mistake. Like, look, this isn't like we're winding down, you know, GM or something. This is a small startup that didn't, didn't work out. So let's not, <laughs> let's not over-litigate this thing. Sure. Let's not over-engineer it. Let's sure. not, let's not create because there aren't, there aren't uh, usually dollars to pay for a very complex legal you know, set of documents. So try to keep it as simple and as clean. And the best way to do it is to be transparent, to sit down, to have the conversation and, you know, come to come to some reasonable outcome for, for all sides. Yeah. And if I can just have a request to anyone out there listening that is going through this decision, I would also really recommend after you know, you get through everything because this is hard. This is unfortunately time consuming. You're working harder knowing that you already knowing the outcome. Um, it's really tough. But what we need more of in digital health are folks like you who can then look back and write a postmortem and share their key learnings because too many people walk away with this with a sense of failure Um but this is like one blip in your career. Like there's so much more. And in fact, like you learn something the hard way. Like, why don't you use that to help other folks not make the same mistakes? And while you're doing that, you're building a lot of credibility. You're helping other people and kind of figuring out what you can do next. We need more Great of that. advice, Hallie. Great, great advice. I had a founder who wound down a company that had raised a, a, a few nine digits of capital. And he wrote a blog post explaining that in his post-mortem analysis. The mistake he made was instead of focusing on, on one product and one line of business, he thought he could tackle three at one time. Mm. 
And as a result, mm. you know, and they all require different sales expertise. They all require different go-to-market strategies, mm. different marketing um, uh, philosophies. And so he wrote this terrific uh, postmortem, and and I, I think it's a great idea. It, even if you don't publish it, which I'd love it if, they, if entrepreneurs would, it gives you a chance to reflect on what would I do differently when I give it another swing and you create the next, you know, mega yeah. company. Absolutely. And then you're writing the history. You're not leaving it up to the press to write yeah, your history. Yeah. You get to share exactly what happened. And I think that sort of um, those cautionary tales that come from someone who's being earnest about their experience is so valuable. I, um, I, I will also add that I have this collection on my blog of cautionary tales of companies in digital health that didn't work out and why. Um, and like for the majority of them, I had to get the information from the press and not because very few of them like told their story, which is disappointing. Uh, but one thing that is very evident is that most of these founders are just like on to their next thing, doing something else. Great. Like I think looking at that and a lot of these founders made bad decisions. So if you've made good decisions and just it didn't work out, just know that like you still have opportunity ahead of you to try again. Yeah, I love that. Curious, Hallie, in that blog post, if you had to sort of say what were the one or two big themes? Yes. Oh, my gosh. What would that be? I think there was just a period in healthcare where it was like, if you build it, they will come and a ton of investment into products without building without building the market. And customer acquisition is really hard. The stakeholders in healthcare are really complex. Who pays, who uses, how adoption happens is really challenging. And so, um, you know, these founders had great ideas. Sometimes they were too early and the market wasn't developed yet, but they had already spent so much money developing these products. I think one one that kind of stands out to me was this health spot. Um, and they were building like these physical kiosks for um, folks to come in and get some health testing done. And they would put them in like CBSs. And, and they had some really great partnerships with, um, with industry, which is very difficult to do, as yeah. you know. But they didn't they, it, it was too early and, and people weren't ready for it. And it feels like just some some customer surveying early on could have helped drive them in a different direction. But I think a lot of these cases are the same thing of like building and the same case that you, you know, talked about with that company that wound down was not enough focus, um, raising too much money before you figure things out. And then there's that pressure to just go big or go home. Um, whereas like there's an iterative nature of working in healthcare and figuring things out and solidifying a sound business before tacking on the next product line or tacking on the next industry that you're going to tackle. Yeah, it's so so wise. And uh, yeah, healthcare's hard. It's not Healthcare is really all hard. Of, all, and by the way, your, your guidance doesn't apply just to healthcare. That's me that in yeah. my book. Healthcare, healthcare is hard. Healthcare is hard. <laughs> it's not. Healthcare. It's not for the faint of heart. It it does in at times. We in the tech broad tech community want revolutionary change, and healthcare is more evolutionary. And so there is there is an element of of that for sure. But. Um, you know, so as you think about all those failures, you know, what, what gets you excited about 2024? Just like as you're thinking about predicting where are these great new market opportunities? I mean, you put a lot of thought in this, Hallie. You're, you always seem to have oh, your yeah. finger oh, on that pulse. So, so cu much. curious what, yeah. you're, what you're thinking, predicting. I mean, 
there are a lot of things I'm excited about for 2024. I would say just on on this topic, specifically about kind of winding down in the companies that haven't perhaps grown into their valuation, haven't found product market fit. I think there's so much opportunity for roll-ups and consolidation. And because they're, they're super smart people and maybe one team has really great product expertise and another team has great marketing, like, hey, let's get together and figure this out uh, you know, again, like let's try together. Maybe we can tackle it in a new way and bring in, you know, diverse perspectives. So I hope, I do hope to see that because I don't want people to leave healthcare. I, I think that this is the single most important sector for our generation to spend their time in. And we have a healthcare crisis that needs to be solved in new innovative ways. So that would be one thing. Like I'd love to see people who, it, you know, have, I don't want to say have failed, have have not succeeded in their first <laughs> round. Like, just get back up. Like, hey, we don't want you to leave. Like, you learned a lot of stuff. Like, you paid to learn. Let's now take those learnings and apply it. And the next time you're going to do a lot better. You're not going to make the same. You make, make new mistakes. <laughs> you're not going to make those same mistakes over again. Um, but yeah, and, and then in terms of, so that would be more, you know, in line with like, market activity, what I think, yep. you know, we're going to see, because as, as we talked about last week, the M&A is, is really uncertain and the prices aren't, the multiples aren't going to be as high. So a lot of this is just like, can you today focus on fundamentals and building really solid businesses so that when the market is back, you're like there and ready because so much of it is timing. So now is really the time to build and figure it out. I love that. I love that. And, and, and there's just so I, I, I couldn't echo your words more articulately than you just did. But, but I, I, I too agree. There's just no more important calling than improving the human health condition. To me, there, there, you know, there are a lot of great industries in the tech ecosystem, no doubt. But, but health tech, healthcare, digital health, it's, it's just so impactful uh, and and hopefully allows us, Hallie, this generation of entrepreneurs to leave the world a, a better place for the generations to come. And to me, that's what gets me really excited about our space. And 2024 has a lot of promise despite all the uncertainty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's it's going back to our topic of like how to wind down and how to know when when to stop. I get the question for founders a lot of like, how many investors should I pitch before I stop? And and how many no's do I need to hear before I like fundamentally change something? And I think it's a very similar question to this, like, how do I know when it's time to wind down? And so if you're out there fundraising right now, if you're out there trying to sell your company right now, you're going to get more no's than if you were doing this two years ago. Without question. And, and I think you're you're right that, uh, look, it's different. It's context dependent, uh, of course, but it's a little bit like Justice Potter Stewart said about obscenity. You'll know it when you see it. And you'll kind of know every company's a little yeah. different. You'll kind of know like, hey, it, it, for some companies, it might be 30 investors, 40, 50 investors. For some, it might be a dozen. It's going to depend on the context. It's going to depend on the history to date. And, and I think you just need to get to a place where you feel like you have satisfied your fiduciary duty of trying to turn over every reasonable stone available and 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 then it's time to to be a realist, but to be thoughtful about it, and 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 again, wind down in an orderly fashion, yeah. if at all possible. Yeah. Okay. So just to close with like some very tangible advice from you, if you're a founder, how much money do you have in the bank before you tell them they need to be fundraising? 
And then how much money in the bank do they have until you tell them like you need to make a decision to wind down? Great questions and a little bit context dependent, but the, but the time to fundraise okay. and to close, it has obviously increased in this uh, you know challenging market. I mean, look, you're an investor, you're sitting on boards, you're advising founders. I think we used to say, hey, listen, you can get a fundraising done in three to six months. And that has sort of, everyone sort of felt comfortable like, hey, let's, let's start raising at least three months before. I think it's gonna take longer in this climate. And I think you need to be thinking, you know, three to nine months. I think it probably is more like six to nine months to get to a fundraising event from the minute you say, I'm going to start fundraising. Uh, um, and so I do think we need to uh, think about a longer horizon to get to funding. Ideally, you're going into that process. If I'm sitting, as I sit in these board meetings across different health tech uh, subsectors, uh, and I'm hearing like, look, if you want to go in with momentum and strength, having your balance sheet show 12 months of runway is really powerful. I mean, that puts you in a really, really high leveraged in your favor position. And so, so that, that, that's, I think, on the fundraising piece. On the orderly wind down, look, I, again, I think it's fundamental that you keep track like a laser on all your liabilities and obligations, but particularly those employee wages, salaries, and benefits. And, mm-hmm. and you want to be able to, and that's why I think it's critical as you start to approach this insolvent scenario that you track it. I mean, that is the fundamental misstep I see founders make is that they wait too long to start like, oh, wow, I owe the landlord this. I owe the accounting firm that. I've got, you know, uh, Xerox machines that I that I leased from that vendor. You know, I've got all of these obligations. And so having someone to be your right hand from a financial discipline perspective to, to make sure those numbers are being tracked and that, you know, ideally daily, but certainly weekly, you're sharing that with your board and you're being mindful so that you when you decide, okay, I've got to unfortunately pull the plug on this, you're able to do so in a way that keeps the reputation of all parties intact, and you treat people fairly yeah. uh, uh, as you as you shut it down. Yeah, and and you still didn't give a number for that though, like three months. I mean, look, it, 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 it depends if you've got you know fifty million of liability out there, and you've got you know <laughs> you've got you know you've got so you've got to look okay. at it. But but I yeah. do I do think I yeah, do yeah. think you know what is uh, the insolvent state varies by company and you want to work backward from that position. Where do yeah. you get to a point where you don't have enough cash mm-hmm. to satisfy all of your obligations, all of your liabilities on a, on a, you know, repeatable basis month in and month out. And you work backward from there. Unfortunately, that's, you know, not the real world we live in. That's, you know, startups are running right, left, up, down, all at the same time. And so there's a bit of chaos and frenzy to it. But but I think bringing in that discipline of tracking it all, putting it together, giving at least weekly, if not daily updates to your board and 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 doing it that way. So, you know, three to six months, ideally, you know, you'd have some visibility into that uh, at least. And um, and you, you, you hopefully you've been a thoughtful steward of all the capital that you've raised and therefore have a sense of, you know, how do I, how do I work backward from that time frame, that timeline? Yeah. And, and perhaps there are assets, yeah, along the way that, um, you know, your board will know if there are good homes for that, really? right? There are probably other portfolio companies that might benefit from some of the products and, you know, 
list that you've built. Um, and then, of course, I mean, one thing we haven't even talked about is in healthcare, if you're a direct-to-consumer you know, platform, like you have customer lives that might be depending on you. And so making sure that you're not leaving them hanging without a care plan beyond that is is really important. Here, here. Plus one to that. Yeah. Oof. Okay. Well, that was the the end of our, our Debbie Downer conversation, <laughs> but like, you know, like a necessary conversation for us to have as we will see wind downs. Like we will continue to see wind downs. Uh, even in the best of markets, this happens. And um, as Michael and I have just reiterated over and over, it's like, this, this is not the end of your career. This is a blip on your career trajectory and handling this with professionalism and transparency is, is really what matters the most and, and treating people right and doing doing what's right in the face of a super shitty situation that, uh, you know, is not fun for anyone. Yeah. Well, thank you all so much for tuning in. If we could ask you a quick favor, please support our show by leaving us five stars in Apple Podcasts. We know you're listening and appreciate you joining us each week. We will see you next week on Closing Time. And that's closing time for today. A huge thanks to our partners at Fenwick for underwriting this show. Recording, editing, and audio mixing by Kyle Moore. Thanks to our guests and to you, our listeners, for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. And check out our website, closingtimepodcast.com, for more exclusive content. Until next time, this is Hallie Teco and Michael Esquivel for Closing Time. Closing Time.